In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A blessed ninth Sunday after Trinity to each and every one of you. It is a strange and somewhat difficult parable that our Lord sets before us today. And it is perhaps the kind of parable that reads us as much as we read it. On one level, we may learn a right disposition toward money. And on another level, we may learn rightly God's disposition toward us. Our Lord will go on to say shortly after this parable, one cannot serve God and mammon. One cannot serve God and wealth. It is simply an inescapable reality that you will either love one and despise the other or despise one and love the other. But of course, we don't really want to believe that, do we? And so much sorrow comes into our lives precisely because of our attempt to balance the two, serving both God and mammon. What is the point of having money? When I was a kid, one of our favorite cartoons was called DuckTales. And it featured a character, Scrooge McDuck, who had a huge vault of gold coins, which he liked to dive in and swim around in. Some people love money for its own sake. It is for them a kind of scorecard of life, a way to measure others and a way to measure their own self-worth. But I suspect for most people, it's not the money itself that's desired so much as it is the freedom that money gives. Freedom to no longer work, wouldn't that be nice? Freedom to travel, freedom to transcend the confines of one's own socioeconomic status. Of course, if we were perfectly honest about it, much of our desire for wealth could be summarized as a desire to no longer need to pray, give us this day our daily bread. We'd already have it. We crave a kind of independence that is at base a desire to be independent even from God, to have security and freedom even apart from him. And mammon, or money, seems capable of granting just such security and freedom. And yet not. Remember that man of whom Jesus spoke, who was so wealthy and so secure that his biggest problem is that he didn't have big enough barns to contain it all. He becomes so independent, at least in his own mind. Even his speech becomes self-absorbed. He says to himself, soul, who talks that way? Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Love of money, says St. Paul, is the root of all evil. I think it's because in money we seek an antidote to God, which of course is why our Lord tells us so plainly. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle 
than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. In the parable that our Lord sets before us today, the parable of the dishonest manager, the main point is actually quite simple to grasp. The dishonest manager is in big trouble. He's wasted his master's possessions, and he's going to be fired and kicked off the land. He then uses money, money that isn't his in the first place, in a shrewd way. He goes to those who were indebted to his master, and he slashes their debts. He uses money not as an end in itself, but as a means to an end. Money is just a tool, and a tool that will keep him living comfortably on the land. Of course, there are many fascinating details, and much more could be said about them, but this is the most simple and straightforward message. Money isn't our Lord. Money is our servant. Money isn't an end in itself, but should be used as means to a greater end. And that end is that we make eternal friends. Make friends for yourselves, our Lord says, by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. We should note, of course, that our Lord says, when it fails, not if it fails. Wealth isn't ours in the first place. All that we have is but a temporary loan. Naked we come into this earth, and naked we will leave it. So remember again that man with his barns. In this life, we are only stewards, managers of our Lord's possessions. Even our very souls are not our own. No amount of money can keep us from death or save us in the hour of judgment. Only Christ, our true Lord, can do that. For he has purchased us, not with gold or silver, but with his own precious blood. He teaches us to deal shrewdly with wealth here in this life, to make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. He teaches us to use the things of this world to make friends in that world which is to come. For this reason, I've titled this homily, Making Eternal Friends. Because in truth, that is what all of our vocations, the callings to which God has called us, are all about. Your parents, your siblings, your children, your friends, coworkers, and neighbors, the people around you here in this congregation, in a sense, our entire lives are lived out to see others into heaven. And insofar as we are shrewd, we will bend all our resources toward this end. This is at least in part what our Lord refers to when he tells us elsewhere, elsewhere not to lay up for ourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but rather to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven, the treasure of eternal friends 
who will welcome us into the eternal dwellings when it is time for us to depart from this world and enter heaven. This parable that our Lord teaches teaches us about the right disposition toward money. And from this, parable, from this parable, we may also learn rightly God's disposition toward us. This particular parable comes immediately after three other parables, each of which, uh, in, which of, in each of which God teaches us his disposition toward us in Christ. What precedes? The parable of the lost sheep, wherein we see the astounding love of the good shepherd who searches for the lost sheep. Isaiah writes, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way. But the good shepherd finds the lost sheep, lays it on his shoulders, and carries it home. Next is the parable of the lost coin. We again see the astounding love of our Savior, who lights the lamp and searches the darkness, sweeps with the broom to search even the filthiest of places. And so even in the darkness and filthiness of our sins, he finds us and rejoices to have us as his own once more. After this, then, it's the parable of the lost son. We see a young man who sins so deeply against his father, wishing his own father dead, taking the inheritance, and then squandering it all. Only as he hits rock bottom does he realize he's no longer worthy to be called his father's son. And yet when his father sees him from afar off, his father runs to him, embraces him, and welcomes him home as the son he has always been. Not even our greatest sins can change how God sees us. We are his beloved children. What follows next is our parable for today, the parable of the dishonest manager, who we are told is wasting his master's possessions. And that word wasting is the exact same word used for the prodigal son squandering. So we have a prodigal son in that parable and a prodigal manager in this one. Just as the father is unspeakably gracious to the prodigal son, so in this parable, the master is unspeakably gracious to the prodigal manager. It is true, of course, that the master calls the prodigal manager to him and says, you can't be manager any longer. But this, in and of itself, is quite merciful. Any other master would have attempted to recover his losses or at least exact a just punishment from the unfaithful manager. He could order that manager to become his slave or to be sold along with his wife and children, each to the highest bidder, separating them forever. He could demand the manager's own goods be sold to repay his debt. Or he could demand that the manager be thrown into prison until every last cent is paid. Just as the father showed mercy to the prodigal son, this master shows mercy to the prodigal manager, even commending him for his shrewdness. There are 
many other and more specific indicators in this parable about just how gracious the master is. And from these, we can indeed learn God's disposition toward us. Whether we have been good stewards of his possessions, whether we have been faithful to him in matters of money, he is merciful and forgiving. And because he loves us, he sets before us the healthy and proper use of material goods and money in service of our neighbor with the hope of making eternal friends. Christ our Lord has not merely slashed in half the debt of your sin. Rather, he has taken away all of it, paid your debt in full. And our Father has commended him, for we have, through this, become his eternal friends. Eternal friends of the Son of God. We know him, but even more importantly, he knows us. His friends, that is what we are. And we come this morning to his table as his friends. Such is the great dignity and honor that has been given to us. So that as we consider the fullness of the treasure that awaits us in heaven, we consider not, all the, not only all the eternal friends who have gone on before, but even more importantly, we recognize that the treasure of all treasures that awaits us in heaven is our Lord Jesus himself. As the scriptures say, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.